Hello everyone, my name is Dave and I'm part of the team at Gold Hill. Uh, and it's my pleasure to be able to carry on in our series, How Big Is Your God? Well, we've been asking that question. We've thought about how big God actually is. We've thought about ways that we can end up treating him as though he's smaller. We've thought about the size of his love. Uh, and, and now we're in the third of three weeks where we've been looking at the first three commandments. Uh, so this is the last of those three commandments. And a couple of weeks ago, we were thinking about the first commandment to have no other gods, to, to, to not set God alongside other things. And uh, last week we were thinking about how sometimes we can put things in between us and God that we think will draw us closer, but we end up focusing on them instead. Today we're coming to the third of the Ten Commandments, and I want to dive straight on in. So let's have a look at what that commandment says. The third commandment says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. This is the one that's sometimes famously translated, you shall not take the, the name of uh, the Lord your God in vain. But uh, this translation uh, says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord God. What does that mean? And why does God even care about it? We could look at that and go, well, it's a little bit petty. I mean, if God's so big, why does he care about his name being used in this way or that way? Surely he's got bigger things to think about. Well, a few things that I want to uh, just say, just to observe, is that names do carry significance. That was even more true in the ancient world when, when, this, was, uh, when, this, was, when this law was given. Uh, but it's true today. I remember a couple of years ago, I was, um, we were preparing for a service back when we could have in-person gatherings um, on a full scale in our church. And someone came in who I'd not seen before, so I went up and said hello and introduced myself. And uh, it was a young man, and I asked him what his name was. And he said to me, my name is Ichon. And I said, hello, nice to meet you, Ichon. And he said, no, no, my name is Ichon. And I said, okay, it's, it's lovely to meet you, my name's Dave. And he said, no, it's important to me that you call me Ichon. And I said, okay, well, I absolutely will. Why is that so important to you? And he said to me, I'm from Romania. And this is the second time I've lived for a while in England. And the first time when I came, I was given some advice. I was given some advice that people in England would find it hard to pronounce my name properly. They would find it hard to say Ichon or to understand how to say it properly. And so I was told that it was easier just to introduce myself as John because people would understand the name John, even though it's not my name. And so for those, I think he said it was eight months that he lived in England. He lived under the name John. And he told me by the end of that time, he felt as though he'd lost something of himself because no one had called him by his actual name for a good eight months. And he said, this time round, I'm not making that mistake. It may be more difficult for other people to understand my name, but I don't want to lose myself by losing my name. Names carry significance. And maybe, by the way, there's an important lesson for those of us who are part of a majority culture to take that extra bit of time and effort. When we come across someone with a name that is unfamiliar to us, that, that we don't know how to pronounce, that we've not come across before, that we take that time because it could mean the difference for someone else between feeling seen and known and feeling as though they're losing some of who they are. Names carry significance. But obviously this commandment is not about our names. It's about God's name. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This is God's name, and in ancient culture, 
um, when, when this commandment was given. Names carried even more significance. Names were, were considered to, to carry the, the identity and even the, the power of the person whose names you were using. To invoke someone's name, to talk about someone's name, was to talk about the very person themselves. So what does misusing a name in that culture and in our culture uh, mean? What does it mean to misuse the name of God? Well, I think there's one main meaning of what, what was intended, but there's a few other things that we can think about as well. Here's some simple things that I think uh, it means to misuse the name of God. First is to, to make light of it, to make light of God's name. I remember when I was little, when I was a child, I was playing with my brother upstairs uh, in our house in Luton, where I spent the first seven years of my life. And we were we were playing church. We were acting out as if we were we were at church and we were we were we were leading things and we were having fun and we were playing around and we were being silly with it. And at one point, um, I can't remember whether it was my brother or I, uh, we started to pretend that we were saying a prayer at the front of church. And we were putting on this silly voice while we said, Lord Almighty, would you blah, 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 blah. I can't remember exactly what the prayer was. And very quickly, my dad was in the room and he said, Boys, I know you're playing, but remember, that's God's name you're speaking about and you need to take it seriously. Just taking God's name lightly and throwing it around, treating it in a silly way, that's not something that is using God's name properly. Here's another thing, using God's name as a swear word. Think about how, how common it is on TV or in conversations with people to hear phrases like Jesus, oh my God, Lord Almighty, Christ, or God damn it, all of which are using God's name and invoking it as a swear word. That's not a proper way to use God's name. Another thing is to openly mock God's name, ridiculing him. Remember that, that, that this is not just about ridiculing the name, but ridiculing God himself because his name carries some of his identity. But I want to be really clear and remind us that this commandment, was given to those who had already started to follow God, those who are already his people. In the New Testament, Jesus doesn't require people to behave in a certain way or act in a certain way unless they're following him. Once they're following him, he sets a pretty high bar. But we don't have license as Christians to go up to someone who we hear on the street saying one of these things that we don't think is appropriate and say, uh, you shouldn't be doing that, thank you very much. This is an important lesson for us as Christians to be listening to. And if you're, if you're listening to this and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're sort of um, trying to explore all of this, then can I say to you, this is not about condemnation. This is not about judging people for using God's name in one way or another. This whole series is about helping us to remember how big God is. And one of the things that we can do that makes him smaller is to use his name in ways that are silly or are flippant or are glib. So if you're watching this and you're trying to understand what Christianity is about or what Christian faith is about, please, pl please hear me when I say we believe that our God is so big, so powerful, so mighty, so loving, so good that we don't want to treat him in a silly way. We don't want to treat him in a rude way. We want to treat him with respect and with goodness and with dignity. But I think there is one major way that this commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, is meant to be understood and should be understood. And it's not to do with swear words and it's not to do with making light of God and it's not to do with mocking God. Because actually um, there's something very specific that's going on here and that's being said here. Over the last few weeks I've used some visual images to try and depict what's going on in these commandments. 
First one was about having God over and above every other thing going on in our life rather than underneath it or alongside it. Then last week we were thinking about having direct line to God, not putting up something else as a go-between that ends up uh, becoming the object of our life and of our worship. Today, this one, this third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of your, the Lord your God. Again, it's about us and, and God. But the way that God wants us to treat him and his name is this. He wants us to place ourselves within him and within his purposes, within his name, rather than doing the opposite, which is to start with us and then to try and use God's name as a badge for the things that we want. It really is dealing with this question of who's in charge? Is it us trying to use God's name for our purposes or is it God being the one who's in control and us aligning ourselves to him and to his name? Why do I say it's about that? That doesn't quite sound like what misusing the Lord's name uh, would be about. Well, if we actually look at what these words mean literally in the Hebrew that they were originally given, that phrase misuse the name of the Lord your God actually means raise up the Lord's name for no good. It's about lifting up, it's about using, it's about raising up the Lord's name, it's about bringing the Lord's name into something in order to use it for something which is not good and which is not ultimately from God. This is about brandishing God's name for our purposes in ways that aren't right. This is about us trying to use his name as a magic word to get the things that we want. The context of the day when this was given was that it was very common for people to make oaths with one another, to swear uh, oaths with one another um, and to swear on certain things. And the idea was if you swear on X and then you, it turns out you were lying, then X is either going to be given or lost or X can, can punish you for having, having lied. So when people would make an oath in the name of God, then what they were saying was, and if I tr prove to be lying, then God can do whatever he wants with me and God will punish me. God is now on your side in this if I turn out to be false. It's about using God's name as a way of, of getting what people want by, by, by swearing an oath. And God is saying, do not do that. Do not raise up my name for something that is not good. Of course, over time, people did what people do and they found ways that were sort of ways around this. So by the time of Jesus, people weren't swearing in the name of God, but, but they were swearing in the name of things that were related to God. They were swearing on the temple or they were swearing not on the temple because that would be a bit close to God, but they were swearing on the contents of the temple. And different people had different lines about what they were allowed to swear on and what they weren't. And Jesus came along and said some pretty direct things saying, look, don't do that. And actually, Jesus's brother, James, in a letter that he wrote that's found in the New Testament, said this. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. And today we hear it as well. We'll hear someone say, I swear in God's name. We don't need to do that. We shouldn't do that. I would say that that is a way of misusing the Lord's name today. We need to just be truthful, to stand on, on our own word, on the validity and the trustworthiness of our own word. And if, if your word isn't trustworthy, then we need to work on that instead of invoking or calling God's name into that, just to show that we really mean what we say. We need to be trustworthy rather than misuse God's name because 
ultimately we're not. But why is this so important? So far this could just sound like a very negative message. These are lots of things that we shouldn't do. This is lots of ways that we shouldn't use God's name. But we're looking at that question, how big is your God? And I want to say, if we're willing not to be in the driving seat, if we're willing not to just use God's name as a badge for the stuff that we want, we open the possibility of something far greater, something far better. The possibility that the great big God has for us. This is not just about avoiding using God's name wrongly for our own purposes. This is also a message about how we can learn to use God's name rightly and properly to place ourselves into his purposes. And to look at that, I want to explore some words that Jesus himself said about his name, about God's name. It's three verses in what's known as the farewell discourse. And it's called that because this was Jesus spending time with his disciples sharing some things with them before he would say farewell, before he would go, before he would die and rise again and ascend to be with his father in heaven. There is a huge statement in what I'm just about to read and a huge promise. Both need to be understood and both can be believed, but both of them require that we lay our names down in one way or another and instead choose to place ourselves into God's name. So here's what it says. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. Wow. Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said the ones who believe in me will do even greater things than the works that I have been doing. Even greater things? This is Jesus who rose someone from the dead. This is Jesus who fed over 5,000 people with just one person's lunchbox worth of food because he multiplied it. This is Jesus who walked on water, who made the blind see, who helped the deaf to hear. This was Jesus who did miraculous, amazing things and started a community that would change the world. How is it that, that what we would do, that what those who came after him would do would be greater? What does Jesus mean? People have understood it in a few different ways. Some people say that, that the things that Jesus' followers will do will be more impressive than the things that Jesus did. They'll be greater in impressiveness. I don't think that's what's meant. I mean, it's certainly true that, that those who come after Jesus aren't called to do things that are less impressive. And around the world today and in our own communities, miracles take place. People are healed. People are raised from the dead. Demons are cast out of people. These things are happening, they are alive and active in our world today. We're not called to a less impressive ministry as those who follow Jesus than he is. But I don't think it's about us being more impressive, doing greater individual acts. So some have understood this to mean, well, it's going to be greater in number. Jesus was one person located to one place, but because there's so many people that would come after him, there'll be so many more works. And I think that's true. But it doesn't really do justice to the, to, the, to the importance of what Jesus is saying. He's setting this up as a, an important thing. And if he's just saying there are going to be more of you than there are of me, then it doesn't really do justice to that. I think what's going on here is partly that there will be greater in number, but more importantly, that the impact of what those who come after Jesus will do, the impact can be far greater. And there's a few reasons for that. One is that, is that in some ways what Jesus was doing was still veiled but what 
we can do, what those who came after him, what the disciples would go on to do, would be fully disclosed and fully known. Why is that? Well, the, the thing that Jesus was pointing people to, his death and resurrection at this point, hadn't happened. They were looking forward to a, to a future hope, whereas now we can point people to a present and a future hope. Something that is solid, something that is secure, something that is now, it's actually already happened. Another reason is that, is that Jesus was himself God, acting in, 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 in amazing and powerful ways where he was. But what Jesus had not yet done was poured out his Holy Spirit onto and into every single Christian believer, carrying the presence of God wherever they went and to whatever they would do, and, and increasing the impact of everything that we set our hands to. And the other thing is simply because it could spread to all the locations in the world, that the impact would be greater because no place needed to be unreached. So what Jesus is offering is that if we join him, we can be part of something that is greater even than what he was able to do. Because there is an impact to what we can do if we set our minds and we set our purposes and we set our lives towards what it is that he's calling us to. We do not need to live impactless lives. We are part of a community, part of a movement across the world. I'm reading a book at the moment called What Jesus Started by a guy called Steve Addison from Australia. And in it, he talks about what it is that Jesus did with his first followers and with the disciples and how that then moved on into those, those same things, but expanding in impact through the life of the early church and then tracks that forward and shows how those same things are operating today and again have increased in impact and scale across the world. That is what we can be part of. And if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, Know that, that my, my heart's desire for you is that you begin a relationship with God, not so that you can just be part of a church and follow the rules and attend on a Sunday, but because I am part of and God is inviting you to be part of a movement that is there to change and restore and redeem the whole world. That is what Jesus promised and called his followers to, and that is what is on offer to us. And then Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything in my name and I will do it. Again, wow. But notice in there, two times, in my name. Whatever you ask in my name, ask me for anything in my name. This is where we start to see the connection with the third commandment. Because we've talked about ways that we can misuse God's name. We, we just raise him up for our purposes. I want this, so I'm going to say it, and I'm going to say, Lord, would you do it in Jesus' name, blah, 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 blah. And, and sometimes we can do that. Sometimes I can do that. I can think, I want this, so I'm going to attach God's name to it, and then I might get it. Jesus is asking us to turn that on its head. He's not saying, if you say, in Jesus' name at the end of your prayer, then it's a, it's a magic phrase that will somehow make it happen. See, the way the disciples and those who follow, including us, will do those greater, more impactful, greater scale things than Jesus did, the way that we will do them is that we will do them in Jesus' name. Jesus who is God. Jesus who carries the identity, the power, the purpose, and the name of God. This then is how to use God's name properly.
a few things that I just want to uh, point out from this. Notice that it's always Jesus. Jesus isn't saying, well, you'll do greater things than me. He's saying, I'll do greater things in and through you than I've done to date now. It's Jesus' work through us or it's Jesus' work in the person of Jesus. Either way, it's all about Jesus being at work. It's not about you and it's not about me. This is not, as I've said, about sticking uh, his name onto our things. This is not a magic word. That's cheap. That's misuse. That's us wanting to be in the driving seat and asking him to come as a passenger to give us a bit of power. This is all also about his purposes. See, in order to be able to say, to ask something in his name, it has to be something that he's willing to put his name to. Something that he is wanting, something that he has discerned and desired for as well. It's not just my desires with his name attached, it's me choosing to get on board with his desires so that I'm in his name. We have to submit to him, we have to surrender, we have to let him be in charge. Now that's not simple, in my life I've prayed for things and I've seen them happen, I've seen those answers to prayer. I've prayed for things that I'm really glad I didn't see happen because looking back it would have been a disaster if they had. I've also prayed for things and I have no idea why I haven't seen them happen. I'm praying for things right now that I'm not seeing answers to and I don't understand why because it seems like something that God would want. It seems like something that would be his will. But friends, this isn't, this isn't a neat thing. This isn't neat. It's going to be a little bit messy sometimes. But what it always is, is a heart thing. This is always all about surrender and submission. There is so much power in the name of God, but we have to be willing to lay our own name down in order to pursue his and his purposes. And then when we move in the power of his name, the things that he is willing, the things that he is putting his name to, the things that he is desiring, then there is huge power to be harnessed in our prayers and in our lives. So how big is your God? Big enough that you just want to wield his name, his power, his clout, when you think it might help your interests? Or bigger than that? Big enough that you are willing to lay down your interests, to harness the real power and impact that comes from aligning your name to his purposes. Again, this is not about condemnation. It's about lifting our eyes. We can find ways, we're really good at it. We can find ways to box God in, but he is ready in your life to break out of those boxes. It all starts with surrender with choosing to not be in charge ourselves and choosing to let him be in charge, seeking him, seeking his purposes, aligning our names to his. And it all starts with waiting on him, trusting him. We're actually going to sing a song now, which is all about strength rising when we wait on God, because he is everlasting. We can choose to lay our own names down in favour of his. Or we can choose to try and cling on to them. But ultimately there's far more power to be found in his name than there is in ours. So I'm going to leave a moment of pause for us to just consider these things, to reflect on them for, for a moment. And then we'll be singing that song together.